You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Pyongyang establishes a template for pariah states trying to profit in cyberspace. The FBI warns that there's a rat in the ICS software supply chain. The U.S. has a new counterintelligence strategy and cyber figures in it prominently. Likud's exposure of Israeli voter data may benefit opposition intelligence services. We've got notes on the Equifax breach indictments. As New Hampshire votes in its primaries, CISA warns everybody not to get impatient. In Iowa, they're still counting. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 11th, 2020. Researchers at the intelligence firm Recorded Future describe how Pyongyang has adapted the Internet into a tool for rogue regimes. North Korea has grown adept at using cybercrime as a means of evading the international sanctions that have crippled its economy. The country's hackers have become proficient, Recorded Future says, at three ways of generating revenue. Internet-enabled bank theft, exploitation of the cryptocurrency sector as seen in some of the Lazarus Group's recent activities, and finally, what the researchers call low-level information technology work and financial crime. The regime has also succeeded in stealing intellectual property useful in acquiring or enhancing its capabilities in prohibited technologies, especially ballistic missiles and weapons of mass destruction. The North Korean template can, recorded future suggests, be used by other pariah states struggling under international sanctions. They specifically mention Venezuela, Iran, and Syria. According to ZDNet, the U.S. FBI has circulated a private warning to industry cautioning companies that threat actors are working to infect software supply chains with the Quampir's remote access Trojan. This particular rat has been seen most often used against targets in the healthcare sector, but the recent FBI warning suggests that Quampiers has been seen in use against industrial control systems. The U.S. has released its national counterintelligence strategy. The document lays out a case described in the Wall Street Journal that the intelligence threats the U.S. faces have grown more diverse, more complex, and more damaging, especially as they merge traditional intelligence disciplines with cyber operations and as they show an increased disposition to engage in economic espionage. The team at security firm Cinera have been working to standardize security measures for surveillance and IP cameras, and among their efforts include supporting the NICE Alliance. NICE stands for Network of Intelligent Camera Ecosystem, and they've recently released details of a framework for IP camera security. 
Andrew Waj is CTO and co-founder at Cinera. There are a number of issues with intelligent cameras, and obviously one of the most important is the issues of security and privacy from both the developer perspective and for the end user or end customer. But security and privacy was a very important part of how we approached the problem. It was, in fact, the first thing we actually addressed in developing the standard. Now, one of the things that you're doing here is is sort of um, flipping the script when it comes to uh, where in the chain images are processed. And, and, and that sort of has a cascading effect on things like privacy. Can you give us an overview of what's going on there? Yes. So with privacy, what we have done is we've enabled there to be fine-grained control of, first of all, what data gets generated. So in configuration of the cameras, we can actually configure the camera such that um, you know, only notifications get generated. So things like faces or even the actual events themselves can be discarded by the camera. And then also enabling the end user to determine which types of data gets generated and which applications can access that data. So we actually enable some data to be accessible to some applications and other data to be accessible to other applications or not accessible at all. Can you give us a, a real-world example of, of uh, an application of that? So uh, let's say you have a camera in a location where you're monitoring for certain events. And in particular, you don't want people's faces to be recorded. But you do want to see if somebody enters a, an area which they're not supposed to enter or if there's a you know, vehicle entering a location. In that case, we can actually program the cameras to simply send a notification saying that an event has occurred and there's no upload of any video with any facial information. And so I suppose um, the notion is that this plays well into uh, the types of uh, regulations that we expect to see coming when it comes to privacy and maintaining data and so on. Yes. So, yeah, we have this notion of what we call zero image uh, surveillance, where you can actually make sure that sensitive data is never distributed. And I think there are a lot of applications where this is going to be very important, particularly with facial recognition. And being able to avoid capturing faces in certain applications is going to be really crucial, not just from an end-user's privacy perspective, but also from a regulatory perspective as well. Hmm. And how do you envision a broad um, deployment of this sort of thing? Is this a a framework that uh, is going to be widely available? or Are you keeping some exclusivity to it? or Do you have partners lined up? Yeah, we're working with typically uh, larger enterprises or, or carriers who want to deploy cameras quite widely. So, for example, in smart cities where you know, you'd have a number, a lot of cameras in, within an uh, urban environment. So we're typically working with uh, enterprises and you know, larger organizations who want to deploy large numbers of cameras. But we see this ultimately can go you know, from enterprise all the way through to consumers. That's Andrew Waj from Cinera. The Jerusalem Post reports that the data leaked from a voter database app used by the Likud party may have compromised information on Israeli intelligence officials. They cite Harel Menashri, currently head of cyber at the Holon Institute of Technology and formerly one of the founders of Shinbet's cyber unit, as pointing out the potential implications of the data exposure. Again, it's the fact of the exposure and not any evidence that a foreign intelligence service has the data, but there's a non-negligible chance that they do. 
So, in assessing risk, one takes into account the opposition's capabilities. They might have the information, and it's best to plan on the assumption that they do. And finally, the U.S. state of New Hampshire conducts its presidential primary today, and CISA distributed an encouraging email that praised successful threat information sharing, writing on behalf of the Election Infrastructure Government Coordinating Council on ongoing efforts to protect 2020 elections. The email reminded everyone not to get hasty or jump the gun. The CISA email said, And remember that election results published on election night are not official. It may take days or weeks for official results to become available. The accuracy of the vote total is much more important than the timeliness of releasing results. They seem to be looking at you, Iowa, where the two leading candidates, according to preliminary results, Senator Sanders and former Mayor Buttigieg, have both requested a partial re-canvas. A re-canvas, the AP explains, is not a recount. Rather, it's a check of results against the paper records in the precincts and would not involve checking the math, addition, basically, recorded on those paper records. After a re-canvas is complete, then a candidate may ask for a recount in which presumably math errors might be identified and corrected. Democratic National Committee Chair Tom Perez has been critical of the Iowa Party's conduct of its caucus, suggesting that the state's position as first stop in the nominating process would be reevaluated, as it periodically is. Iowa Party leader Troy Price has reminded Mr. Perez that it's up to the state party and not the DNC to decide whether to re-canvas. Price told WHO-TV, We've got a job to do, and that is to finish up this process. There is a time to assign blame, but I will tell you the DNC has been a partner in this process, up to and including caucus night. Part of the post-mortem will surely be a look at how Shadow Incorporated's ill-starred Iowa Reporter app was developed and deployed. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. Um, you all recently posted on your website a uh, really interesting article here. It's Industrial Cyber Attacks, a Humanitarian Crisis in the Making. Uh, take us through uh, what are you laying out here for us? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think when we look at security, we can't do it in just kind of the technical view of the world. I mean, it is important to understand where we fall in things like international humanitarian law or uh, law of armed conflict or just kind of how countries around the world are viewing these things, especially in industrial security where you're talking about electric grids and oil refineries and manufacturing and similar, like national infrastructure. Long story short, uh, we've been trying to support. I don't think we can take a ton of credit. So I just want to say we're supporting them. Like they're, they're the ones doing all the work, but we're supporting the Red Cross as it thinks through some of these challenges and where cyber attacks really fall. And I think that one of the challenges for the Red Cross has always been that when we talk about cyber attacks, it can mean anything. And we'll call something a cyber attack when it's a exposed, you know, AWS container or phishing email. Mm-hmm. But and so that it's hard to deal with. But for them to get their mind around industrial control system attacks, um, that's much easier to go, oh, you can turn off the power and that would relate to hospitals and there could be um, attacks that aren't um, actually completely legal based on how they're conducted against uh, civilian targets. And it's it's much more obtainable for them and something that we can all put a line in the sand. So what it really came down to is we shared our insights that we're seeing dealing with the threats and, and understanding how these threats are evolving just based on the data that we have, not trying to get too predictive here, and understanding what that could mean in the future so that the Red Cross and other international organizations can try to get a little ahead of it. One of those takeaways is that the industrial control system attacks usually are very specific in nature. If I design an attack on a safety system in a petrochemical environment, that's not going to scale very well. But as we have this kind of digital transformation in our industry, as we're becoming more like each other, more homogeneous in nature of infrastructure, and as these threats are exposing more and more blueprints of how to do these attacks, you know, the tradecraft or the TTPs or the methods to which they do the attacks more so than malware exploits, we're we're kind of hitting this convergence at the, the scalability of attacks. And we could start to see in the future more commoditized attacks and um, adversaries who aren't sophisticated state actors, even though those aren't always all that sophisticated or mature um, or responsible. Uh, <laughs> but we we could definitely see more criminal actors and similar, which would really escalate this to an unsafe place for the international community. Well, and also, I mean, what comes to mind for me is something like not Petya, where something kind of, you know, g- escapes g- and, and causes damage beyond what perhaps its originally its original intentions were set out to be. Absolutely. And there were, you know, I think a couple companies got pulled in the spotlight on that, but there were, you mm-hmm. know, we have an incident response statement. Like we got called into a lot more than was public, and we're talking about a significant number of companies who lost tens to hundreds of millions um and dollars based off of this attack. And again, not the public ones, which raises a lot of questions as well. But that was off of just the fact that we had more IT systems in industrial control. We had more operations technology than before. And one of the common themes when we were talking to executives or presenting to their boards or similar was that a lot of the folks thought these were segmented off plants or thought that this risk didn't exist. This is one of the things you always hear me talking about where like the enterprise security strategy can't be copy and pasted into 
the industrial um, environment, like we need to think about an industrial security strategy. Ransomware worms and similar are a really effective and, and unfortunate way to figure out asset identification, right? Like they, they, they help you with like, oh, we had a plant over there and it was connected. And it turns and, out. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we are seeing a trend in the community where people are realizing after the fact how much more risk and exposure they had um, than they knew about. Then we kind of calm them down and go, hey, but our infrastructure is really reliable. Our engineers and operators have done an amazing job over the year. And no, the power grid isn't just going to go out overnight because there's not even just one power grid. But at the same time, we kind of want to lean into it and go, yeah, but based on what we're seeing in the threats, this is going to get ugly. Um, it's not freak out now. It's, hey, within like a five, I don't know, five to 10 year kind of period, things are going to get really, really heated. And let's just get ahead of the problem and make sure that we can at least make it safer for people to be in this world and, and at a very minimum tie cybersecurity to safety on the industrial side. How much are nations around the world on board with this idea of keeping these things off the table? Of, of They're all completely on board with the idea of everybody but them keeping that off the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> there, there, yeah. There is, there's like no state. I mean, I don't know, maybe the Vatican comes up with it or something, but there's like no <laughs> state that's like, hey, let's deny capabilities to everybody. Every state is, let's deny capabilities to everybody but us. And that has always been the problem. And there's all sorts of, you know, political theories you can get into there. And the reality is without dragging things into the light and holding people accountable, it's just not going to work. But I mean, is, is that a, a peculiarity of cyber? Because I don't, I don't think you find that, in, you know, around the world, people saying everyone should be able to bomb civilian hospitals except for us. Well, I think there's an accountability and a tangible nature to things like bombing. You know, my background being in the U.S. Uh, intelligence community, and I love the U.S. intelligence Coming deep enough, red, white, and blue is probably there. But even there, like really stupid, sickening choices would get made um, or get suggested at least. You know, I, I always he remember hearing the U.S. say, we will never attack civilian infrastructure. And you go, cool, what do you consider civilian infrastructure? I'm like, well, actually... <laughs> and and you realize that like the power provider outside of the hospital that's also providing base power. Well, that's not a civilian target. It's providing power to the base. Like what? That is absolutely a civilian target. So I I think if I like to hold the U.S. government in high esteem, obviously I'm extremely biased being from the U.S. But if I like to hold the U.S. government in high esteem, and even with them, I am seriously bothered by some of the questioning that takes place. I would rather just say that probably everybody's got a similar issue around the world and not to stereotype all countries around the world. I, I would just like to say that we should probably have an, a um, non-government um, kind of arbiter or at least some international public discussion. Again, if you bomb somewhere, there's generally going to be an amount of evidence and understanding that people can wrap their head around. If you do a cyber attack, even when we know yeah, Russia broke into the DNC. It was like, well, did they? Maybe the servers in Ukraine. It's like, oh my god! All right, and we need. And I'm not, I'm not advocating like the answer is attribution. Actually, the answer isn't necessarily attribution. The answer, in many ways, is having some level of laws, but not only laws, but norms, and then beyond the norms, some level of precedent of actually enforcing those norms. I mean, you and I talked years ago when I said, hey, this 2015 U Ukraine attack thing. Not one government official has come out at a senior government level anywhere in the world and actually publicly condemned this attack, regardless of who did it. 
we're setting precedent that this is okay. And then we've just seen kind of this evolution over the years since then. And until we start having some precedent to even acknowledge these things are bad publicly, um, we're, we're, we're in for an interesting ride. All right. Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.